0: Welcome to episode 286 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I'm Case. Welcome back, Case. Thanks for having me back. (laughs) Always a pleasure. Uh, And we've got a Superman-heavy week this week, so it seemed like a good time to get you back on the show.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's funny how that worked out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How have you been this week? How have you been since last you've been on? What's going on in the world of Case?
1: Uh, you know, so I actually looked the last time I was on, and since then there has been quite a bit of news, which is that a Star Trek fan film I worked on came out. Uh, Incredible. Starship, yeah, Starship Farragut Homecoming, which is our conclusion of our long-running TOS-era Star Trek series that's been going for like 15 years. Um, <laughs> although the last five were post-production hell on the last thing. Um and uh and actually now just today i was uh working on the set for we are we're jumping into the future and we are doing a production set in the like the movie era like the wrath of khan esque era (laughs) timeline awesome uh so that's gonna be called farragut forward and we are uh ramping up for production and gonna get a kickstarter going sometime in december so it's actually really cool time to talk about that
0: stuff outside of the podcast world That's incredible. I didn't know you did any of that, honestly. That's not something we've ever talked about before. Well, again, five years
1: of post-production hell has been true, uh, holding true. up the thing. That <laughs> last thing I was dramatically involved was I, I was production manager, and so I was running the entire shoot. Uh, and then after the shoot was done, I handed my notes off to post-production people, and I said, let me know if you have questions. And I've answered questions periodically, but that's been about the extent. Fair enough. Fair enough. Someday I'll learn how to make CG
0: spaceships, but uh, today is not that day. <laughs> Well, you can't do it all. If you did it all, what would the rest of us do? Keep me that. Uh, I don't know that being less busy would actually impact that for me. In fact, I've got about 16 months of proof that it does the opposite. That's fair.
1: Yeah, I find that I have to be at about 90% busy. Like, you know, of what my max capacity is. If I go over that, then that's when I start to face burnout. And if I go under that, that's when I start to rip my hair out.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's relatable. I'm probably somewhere in that range. To the the eighty to ninety is probably happy for me. Let's talk about some comics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, we are we are building up to talking about Batman Superman Authority Special, but I got caught up on Action and Superman. In order to get there, we are kind of at the end of the first phase of the Action Comics plotline that's been going on. Warworld Rising. Uh, Number 1035 is the last issue of that arc, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, with art by Daniel Samperi, colors by Adriano Lucas, and letters by Dave Sharp. There's a lot going on here that I really like. I like the idea of Superman kind of politically in a place where he's a liability for the Justice League. That feels really right in sort of a modern political setting. Um being more concerned with doing good than doing what is optically beneficial feels very Superman.
1: Yeah, it's it's very much in contrast to characters like a Namor, or or Aquaman, really. Like, yeah. <laughs> where it's like, oh, look, I'm royal and I represent a nation and I have powers that can influence the world. You know, where that's a very cut and dried, here's a metaphor for, like, for actual politicians where, and, you know, the power of the state uh, versus Superman who is an independent actor and in that regard actually now is has pressure put on all nations of the world because he is trying to do what is right.
0: Right, and he's taken this this power source that everyone wanted and Atlantis had laid claim to, and he has hidden it. No one can find it. Batman can't find it. I love that the standard here is if Batman doesn't know, nobody knows. Um, But we also have him dealing with uh, other... Like a sect of Kryptonians who had separated from Krypton kind of almost as as heretics to Krypton, like science heretics, found their way to Warworld and were enslaved there, and Mongol has sent a group of them to kill Kal-El and family. Or at least family. It's very much a trap to get Superman to Warworld. Everyone knows it, and it has reached the boiling point where Superman is just champing at the bit to go he is ready to go mongol has crossed so many lines and now superman's putting together a team yeah
1: it's kind of like han in the fast and furious movies where it's like we know you have to go to tokyo we know eventually that has to happen but for like three movies it's gonna be like no we're gonna keep kicking that (laughs) can
0: uh i've never seen a fast and the furious movie
1: Once you find out that they don't actually happen in chronological order, that's when your brain breaks.
0: (laughs) I actually do know that. I do know that, like, 3 is a prequel, maybe? Or 3 happens after, like, 6 or something like that? I know Tokyo Drift is the the really out-of-sequence one. I know that. Right. It wouldn't have
1: been until they decided that they liked the character from from Tokyo Drift and wanted to put him back in there in 5 and then just kept him around for several more movies because people liked him. Uh, but he definitely died in Tokyo Drift. <laughs> <Although, laughs>
0: Wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey. Not-
1: exactly. Yeah, I like the I like this all and I like actually tying the 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 heretic stuff. I I can't it's, it's been a little while since I read this issue because it came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh but I can't yeah. remember if it was um a nod to Superman's first encounter with Warworld uh post crisis where that's where he encountered the eradicator and he found the cleric uh who led a bunch of kryptonians away from from Krypton um and then it ended up being trapped on Warworld uh after all that. I don't know if they if this is like an updated version of that or uh or anything but it's it's interesting that some of these like similar threads are being used in in these ways.
0: Yeah, I so I have not read as many older comics. I bad at going back and reading anything really before the last decade or so, but especially before you know like 99 2000 somewhere in there. So I had no clue that this was calling back to anything like that. And I would guess I don't know if it's deliberately. Like it's <laughs> well, like the interesting thing. that it's it rhymes. Here's the thing, and I think that's it. I think that's the thing that matters. It rhymes. It is an allusion to that beat. It calls back to that beat. My guess, just knowing kind of where cosmologically the DC universe is at right now with everything that has happened is canon and has happened again, is that this is probably not the exact same group. The names are probably different. um, And some of the history is probably going to be different. But I'm sure the rhyme, I am sure the the shape of the thing is intentionally similar. That would be my best guess.
1: Yeah, and uh, this current era of love for Warworld is very interesting. Like, it's very defined. They have, like, a real culture behind, not just Mongol, but the secession of Mongols and, like, all the chain concepts. These are all, like, new ideas that have really added flavor to what was marvel's knockoff of thanos who was a knockoff of apocalypse <laughs> <laughs> or pardon me of dark side <laughs> yeah
0: well and it's the other thing too that i know i bring this up often when we talk about this book is the tease we got of this plotline and future state gave us some further context for maybe maybe an ace that is up mongol's sleeve that is, frankly, kind of terrifying and moves him from just a Superman villain to an actual, like, intergalactic threat that other characters are going to have to get involved with. Um, and that is to say, in Future State, we saw him with a yellow lantern ring. Yeah, well, that we part saw him- isn't that new, though,
1: because back in the Sinestro War- Corps Wars, he was a member of that corps.
0: Sure, but to bring that back to set up like the fall of the Green Lantern Corps and that piece, as well as we see like an avatar of the Red Lanterns who ends up being like the God in Red or something like that, and uh we learn in in one of the Green Lantern future state books who that ultimately will be, like there's a lot of a lot of cosmological chess piece moving for the Green Lantern Mythos that I think is going to ultimately end up tying together. And I think this is one of those pieces. That is that is kind of where I'm coming from with being curious to see how this goes and how this continues to build out over the next, I don't know, year or so. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's exciting either way. Like I said, I really enjoy what they're doing with Mongol as a concept. Yeah, uh, And the Future State stuff has been such an, uh, a wonderful device to set up like, here's how we, here's here's where we want the chess pieces to end up, Uh and in a way that normally comics can't do that. Yeah, like, the way that they
0: have actually executed and made it, made it this sword, this Damocles sword hanging over continuity, has, I think, worked better than any other similar version of this that I have read, when they have tried it in the past.
1: Yeah, uh, because it actually feels like a, a proper sneak peek and then yeah developing to it as opposed to here was a popular mini series like when kingdom come came out and everyone was trying to figure out ways to make things line up so that it would match up with kingdom come but like kingdom mm-hmm. come very explicitly was not the future of the world we had been seeing at that point and it was interesting to it was interesting to see them try but uh, also they were doomed to fail because it just wasn't where they wanted comics to go and it was kind of too narrow of a story anyway and like you see this every time like a popular future story happens like the legion constantly has scenarios where they try to set up like all right this is how we eventually get to the legion of superheroes and it doesn't always quite click because it's like all right well that's a thousand years in the future there's a lot of
0: things yeah. that could happen between now and then weirdly enough also another example that the superman comics have been pulling off lately right oh. uh they're they're doing a better job with it now yeah <laughs> let's jump over to superman son of kalel have you been reading this i have i have so I read three and four to get caught up for today, which uh are kind of a pair of issues in which we see we see John and Jay like go to the farm for dinner together, and at the end of that, Superman leaves on his mission to Warworld, and then we get sort of the first attack on John immediately after Superman is gone, and his dealing with that and dealing with like The Justice League's Crisis Response to an Attack on the Farm? I really, really am digging this book. I mean, I am I am it is no secret that I love Tom Taylor. Uh he writes both issues. Three has art by John Timms, Colors by Gabe Eltabe and Letters by Dave Sharp. Four has art by Danielle Daniquolo, Colors by Gabe Eltabe and Hi Fi, and Letters Again by Dave Sharp. I really like the idea of John being more politically active. I like the idea of John finding. Sort of his own Lois Lane in this journalist character, Jay Nakamura, who also has, as it turns out, some ties to uh, everything that's going on in Gamora with Henry Bendix. Like, I think there are a lot of really interesting pieces being set up for this series going forward.
1: Yeah, and this is one of the books that's actually doing a good job of, like... of reconciling a lot of the continuity and canon of Wildstorm, like henry bendix used to be the head of Stormwatch, and like gamora or was an island from i mean most people know it from from the opening arc of the authority back in the day like mm-hmm. uh, i don't think it really played much of a part that much after that but like it had been like an island of terrorists for, up until that point um and all of this was it's all this was like that Wildstorm stuff that dc never really could like quite grok how to make it work in the new 52 and tom taylor is doing a much better job
0: with it i also like uh we got a tie to in number four tom taylor's run on the suicide squad book uh from last year and let me tell you i definitely audibly gasped when jay's friends showed up in this book these are two characters whom i adore and was afraid we would not be seeing again for a while and they make perfect sense to kind of be backing up Jay, especially when you get into the idea of, like, experimentation on kids with powers.
1: Yeah, I was not familiar with who these two were, but uh, I, I figured it was like, oh, I just missed the story.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I will I will actively recommend to you finding uh, Tom Taylor's run on Suicide Squad. It's one hardcover. It's 11 issues. It is absolutely fantastic it introduces this group of characters called the revolutionaries who in the first issue uh the suicide squad is sent to stop and it turns out that the the actor who has taken over task force x from waller whose name is Locke, wants them recruited to the suicide squad so he plants bombs in all of them and forces these two teams that were just murdering each other Onto a single suicide squad where they agree there is only one thing we can do, that's murder Locke, <laughs> uh, and also maybe Ted Cord is
1: evil. Maybe I've heard I, I I did hear your episode with with JD of uh, I think it was Long Haul or
0: perhaps it was yeah. Comics Quest. I forget which, uh, so I had a little bit of it spoiled. But <laughs> yeah, uh, but I I adore that book. It's just fantastic. It's it's also Bruno Redondo on art who's doing Nightwing with Taylor right now. They're a fantastic team. Anyway. Yeah. Two of those characters show up here.
1: Yeah, and, and Taylor's doing a good job, like you said, like dealing with like a political Superman, um, or more accurately, like a the like the high school activist kind of politics of Superman. Yeah, which I I adore. Like some people have been like he he doesn't know shit about shit. I'm like that's kind of the point. He's seventeen.
0: <laughs> yeah, Ish, like he's maybe? Sm- I'm not even he's sure. smart <laughs> enough to know he's smart enough to know if he gets arrested with protesters that will cause enough social media pushback to get the protesters released. Like, that's that's the level... Like, he gets that kind of thing. But some of the bigger picture consequences maybe aren't immediate to him. I'm like, I like that. I like
1: that balance. Yeah, it's nice to have a Superman who isn't automatically gonna know what to do.
0: Well, it's, it's all the charm of, like, Superboy, right? Whether it's right. a young Clark Kent or any of the other iterations of that character we've had, like they get to be more rash. Superman doesn't get to be rash, but they can be rash. Yeah. It's the
1: growing pains. Like that's a thing that we find really interesting when we talk about the story of a character coming into their powers. Right. And that brings us to Batman Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna laugh about how like when he does actually get arrested where it's like, do you know how many times your mother's been arrested? So many <laughs> <laughs>
0: And well, that's part of what I love about John and especially the ta- the way Tom Taylor writes him. He is very much equal parts Lois and Clark. He's not just Superman's kid. He's also Lois's kid. Yeah. And all that brings us to the Batman Superman Authority special written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Trevor Harrison, Jonathan Glapion, Scott Hanna, Rain Barreto, and Ben Temple Smith, with letters by Tom Napolitano. What did you think of this case? So we haven't really talked
1: about, um, superman and the authority since it actually concluded and i think this is sort of in the same ballpark for me where it just feels like like a prologue uh and this particular story like this story actually felt very much like an authority story uh specifically it felt like the second arc of the original authority comic where they go to a world (laughs) that was invading earth uh and put a stop to them being able to invade other planets uh yeah and and leave with a warning of like if you if you try again we'll be we'll be back um and that so in that regard this is an authority story and it was nice to finally have like a crossover that where like batman and midnighter uh got to like interact with each other because you know (laughs) midnighter (laughs) is is a knockoff of batman uh and i say that lovingly but like that's you know, it's like how do you define who the differences between the two when they're in a shared environment? It's the same problem Superman and Apollo have. Uh so it was nice to see all of those, and it was cool to have a world where Ray al Ghoul had taken over completely ish, except now, you know, we there's stuff that happens and we find out more because it's not, you know, exactly our world, but but <laughs> with a few yeah. changes. It's there's a lot more changes going on with that one. Um and I like the idea of a really terrifying world. Uh, where our supervillains have taken over. Um, Those are always kind of fun to play with, and this is a good version of that type of take.
0: I think this is also our first confirmation, and certainly the first time we have seen in the pages of a book since Death Metal, that the Dark Universe is still out there, the universe that gave us the Batman Who Laughs is still part of the cosmology of the DC Universe. We may not have the Batman who laughs running around causing problems right now, but the same kinds of worlds that gave birth to him that are born of heroes' nightmares, of heroes' unspoken fears, are still, like, bubbling under the surface. And that's, that's the world they, they approach, is one of those dark multiverse worlds. Yeah, um, I, I was curious
1: if there was a specific world that it was uh, a reference to because I missed a lot of that Dark Multiverse stuff. Um,
0: I don't think so. The, the The basic idea with the Dark Multiverse is, like I said, they're born of, of different heroes' nightmares. They're born of, what if we lost this crisis? That kind of thing. But by definition, they're unstable universes that end up collapsing on themselves. They don't last indefinitely. Their events happen, and then they just almost fizzle out and... and fall apart and cease to exist that's why the batman who laughs invaded is because he wanted to not be erased mm. and the batman he 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 recruited in the original dark dark knights metal uh didn't want to be erased so we've seen flashes of some of those worlds to my knowledge we haven't seen this one explicitly but kind of by design They're worlds that are fleeting in the first place. So it makes sense that this would be one we haven't seen before. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, like like I said, I I enjoyed the overall setup. I really liked how when they traveled to the other world, there's an art style shift and they all respond to it. And I thought that was a really fun thing that I wish comics would address more often. Like, it's cute when you have design shifts to set like, oh, well, this isn't like a 60s Kirby world or this is like a... A, you know, golden age setting or you know whatever kind of like artist you're trying to ape from a specific era it's really fun when yeah. there's a, a an actual real world impact on the characters and it's not just we the audience
0: perceiving it in this case that the laws of physics do not apply in the same way right but everyone looked <laughs> wrong to everyone like, like yeah
1: to their eyes even
0: yeah the other piece of this that i was surprised to see because this was one of those almost just flash in the pan flash in the pan, blink and you miss it kind of moments in recent DC continuity. But they brought back the Fuginauts. I don't know if it's the same Fuginaut that we saw in Sideways or just one of his brethren. Um But this is like this incredibly Kirby character who they introduced after Metal. Who showed up in Sideways, which I think is one of the most underrated books DC has put out in the last decade. And then who briefly showed up again in the Flash Forward book that was one of the many attempts to undo the damage to Wally West done by Heroes in Crisis. But who is this almost like multiversal version of the the Observers, or not the Observers, that's Fringe, of the Watchers in Marvel like they can't necessarily do much although they're empowered to like protect the stability of the multiverse uh very similar to to uh like the the character who Morrison introduced for Infinite Crisis and Final, Crynis, F- Final Crisis Nix like similar vibe but feels more like more like a part of the universe like Galactus or, uh, uh, an Eter- or a an eternal or celestial would over at Marvel OK, Um, as opposed to just like beings on a higher plane of existence who observed, um, something of the fabric of reality, like seeing seeing those characters brought back in and used as part of a gateway was not something I expected. And I have a real soft spot for that book sideways. So like I was glad to see them show up here, even if it is just a corpse or head of one. Uh, yeah, so
1: that I mean, I think that the all of these authority tie-in books and so forth are are dealing with this issue of trying to suss out how how in continuity everything is and uh, how how bound to continuity anything even has to be. Uh, you know, the, yeah. the Superman and the Authority book doesn't really feel like it's part of the normal DC setting, but then all the outside books are being like, well, Su- Superman's got a team over there, and then this book is like kind of trying to bridge that a little bit more. Uh, you know we've got Superman back in his classic outfit. he seems to be at his normal power level where instead of the waning level he was at in the authority book um, and we're just trying to get like characters on screen being like, "Okay, I see you've got this team this this team from that book is here with you, and you're going to war world, but first we're going to have a Dragon Ball Z filler movie, you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're you're absolutely right and I there's a part of me that wonders if this is meant, as you suggested, to like introduce these, these alternate Earth, all ghoul, the empire of Lazarus, uh, as some sort of future threat who we'll have to deal with. Or if it truly is just like a, hey, let's test out the team and set some stakes and maybe give folks who didn't read Superman and the Authority because they thought it was not in continuity a chance to like on board for the next arc of action comics. Yeah. I mean, I hope
1: they come back because there were some cool ideas when they described how the soldiers of, uh, of the empire of shadows uh, works. Like I thought that was amazing. Uh, So I would love to see that developed more, but this particular story arc did just kind of feel like a, here's a one-off story about a thing we haven't really dealt with with, you know, characters who are on the edge of being properly in canon versus not you know it's hard to even really say at the moment um and putting that all out there so that we get used to the idea that oh no no superman and the authority they're actually a team out there in the in
0: the dc world yeah which is when you really stop and think about it just wild too like superman and the authority you really wouldn't expect to pal around together you also read superman 78 number three which is not something i've been reading my confession i've never seen any of the original superman movies okay
1: uh yeah so i don't think you really need to for for this okay um, which is kind of the appealing part about it all like the argument is to be made about the original superman movie was that it was a a movie about the zeitgeist opinion of superman like everything was it wasn't really bound to a continuity or anything in particular it was just like what do we know about superman and let's put out like a really pure version of that uh and that's the appealing part when you look at like chris reeve and in, in the outfit dealing with lex luther um so the comic that's spinning off of this is just more of that it's just like here's a classic superman style story that you could anticipate at almost any point in time being published but with a few trappings and and likenesses to look like the actors from these movies Um, Mm. but uh, at this point, Brainiac has become a big issue and Brainiac never actually got properly introduced in the movies. In fact, Brainiac continues to never have been a major threat in any of these movies, even though he's like (laughs) the most obvious threat to put in a movie (laughs) because it's an alien invasion story then. And it would be great. (laughs) I'm just going to say this again. Imagine independence day. but Instead of blowing up cities, they shrink cities.
0: (laughs) I am here for this. Yes. Anyway.
1: So this is a Brainiac story. Uh, He showed up, uh two issues ago they did a really good job of uh consolidating the um the skeletal looking design from the 70s with like the more traditional uh green with like the bulbs on his head kind of design from the 60s and before um hmm. they so basically the the skull ones are like drones that he sends out um and they are very disturbed that a kryptonian is influencing the course of human development uh and so they have uh s- said that they are going to Why about life on Earth? Because uh, their culture has been already tainted uh, or Superman can surrender. And so he surrenders uh, and gets put in Kandor. And that's basically where this issue kind of leads off. Um, The Superman has gone to Kandor, has been reconnected with Jor-El and Lara, who were apparently saved at the last minute before Krypton blew up by being shrunk down and preserved by Brainiac, who in this comes off a little bit more benign um he he seems to be really trying to grab cities right before the planet gets destroyed and preserving them so that he has them on like on file basically um but he has indicated that he thinks kryptonians are not particularly good for the future because they destroyed their own world and uh he thinks it's probably bad to keep them going so wants to cut them away from anyone else and that uh, is sort of the driving factor there. Uh, so we see okay. Superman kind of settle into living on Kandor, dealing with his parents. He's wearing like the the white robes that the, the Kryptonians wore in the 70s movies. Um, meanwhile, Lois is, you know, upset. She writes a whole story about it. And uh, Lex Luthor uh, connects with her and apparently uh, wants to save the day because if... He can't be the one to take out Superman. Then no one can be the one to take out Superman. And that's that's where we're at. Like it's a, it's a very classic style Superman story, but we just never got to see that kind of aesthetic being applied to a Brainiac type story.
0: Cool. How about Justice League Infinity number five?
1: Okay. Yeah. So the multiverse is uh, is is popping right now with DC, and that <laughs> continues here. Uh, so on this one hang on i'm grabbing the issue uh so at this point superman and um a version of calvin ellis have been on a world where vandal savage has uh led a nazi regime to take over the world and they are fighting alongside the freedom fighters which is general zod metallo and doomsday to save the world <laughs> uh Amazing. I note that I love general it. zod is human apparently um Okay. And uh it is implied that it is Natasha so, Irons who is Metallo and that This this this, this book James asks Day,
0: what if Zod was one of us?
1: Yes, is what if Zod was one of us? Would he I can't remember the, all the lyrics on
0: <laughs> that Just could, a slob like one of us? Yes. Yes.
1: Um but so as with the previous issue which actually humanized a version of Darkseid from a different reality where he got what he wanted and then had to spend in a mortal life uh, regretting that he succeeded too well. Um, we get a a big uh, Superman and Superman punching Nazis sequence throughout this whole time, um, ultimately leading them to discover the, uh, the ace in the hole that Vandal Savage has been using to uh, uh, circumvent any strategies against him, which is that he has a telepath that he has imprisoned and has been torturing uh, to gather information on his enemies. And that telepath is a version of John Jones
0: mm.
1: uh, who, while being tortured has reached out through the multiverse and connected with both the, the justice league. And, and I should note, I don't think I said this at the top. Um, this is a spinoff of the justice league unlimited timeline, like the cartoon series. Right. Uh, So it is that version of the justice league, that version of Superman and so forth. Um, and also their multiversal counterparts. So now we've got a whole like league of leagues, coming together uh including a version of john jones who was an exile from mars for being a criminal uh that superman helped convince him to be um, a nice guy and so he decided hey i'll be a superhero now and that one is <laughs> uh made contact with this tortured version of john um and has led them through the multiverse to this world war ii world uh and recovered their Superman, uh only to now find out that there is a multiversal threat where all these uh, realities are starting to collide with each other and uh where bef- at the start of the series, people were being swapped out with their counterparts from other realities, which is how the story began. At this point now, just whole like whole chunks of realities are showing up in each other's realities um, without any sort of like sense of balance. And they think it's get like what's happening is that whatever disruption is getting worse. And that's where we leave the issue.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So it's, it's a fun little story. Yeah, that sounds like it. I have finally gotten caught up on Mr. Miracle, The Source of Freedom. Uh, I read the back half of this miniseries. It has wrapped up this week. It is written by Brandon Easton, with art by Fico Osio colors by Rico Rinzi, and letters by Rob Lee. And this is a version of Mr. Miracle, who we've seen more of since Future State. It's Shiloh Norman. But it's a version who, of Mr. Miracle, who I really didn't know much about until this year. And this miniseries is very much, very much setting up kind of a clean and unified character history for Shiloh Norman. I think this is really getting us to a point where he can be around and be on Earth and we have a terrestrial human mystery miracle again, rather than having to constantly explain scot-free hanging out on Earth. Um, it goes back to his history with uh, the original human Mister Miracle, whose name I am blinking on right now. I am also blinking, so <laughs> and I see that you're grabbing the name, so we're good. <laughs> I am. I am flipping through pages. Thaddeus Brown. So we we learn about the secret history between Shiloh and Thaddeus Brown. Thaddeus had been kind of a mentor, uh, but Shiloh only had about half the story. This also put. Pits Shiloh against a version of Scott Free and Barda's daughter, who they had a son in the Tom King series, but we've never met a daughter before. And the question becomes: Who is who is this character? Who is her name is Never Free? Uh, Who is she? Why is she attacking? Why does she think that that Shiloh is responsible for her parents' disappearance? And all of this kind of builds a more, I'd say more streamlined history between Thaddeus and Shiloh. It kind of grounds why these humans have mother boxes and keep ending up with mother boxes and how they keep connecting to mother boxes when they really ought not be able to. Uh, It fills out shiloh's family history and kind of gives him gives him something to fight for which essentially becomes the truth and oneself uh it is written by a writer who is a black man so it gets into kind of the racial uh uh, element of why he covers his face what happens when it comes out that he is a black man who was a superhero and nobody knew that he was black. How do people respond to that? And how does he, in turn, respond to that? So there are a lot of moving pieces here that I think are all handled really well. And it gets big and cosmic and uh, uh, <laughs> deals with time loops and strange science and all of those elements you kind of expect out of a story that's even tangent to, to the fourth world. And I think it balances all really well. It covers a lot of ground in six issues. um, But I really want to see more. I want to see Mr. Miracle, this Mr. Miracle, like in the bigger picture for DC Universe. Like let him show up and join the Justice League. Let him have a role wherever. I just, I want more of this character out in the world now. And I don't know how you call a series that makes that the case anything but a success, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't been following that much of Mister
1: Miracle. Like, I, I read his appearances in Future State, and I think I picked up an issue, maybe two of the of the series. Um, but it's uh, it just Mister Miracle has never really been my favorite of the uh, the Fourth World characters.
0: That's fair. I mean, look, they can't all be Bug the Forager, and we accept this Fred Bug with two G's. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but that's not, kind I, of I, what i like about world. this version too like i like i like that this is not truly a totally fourth world version of this character and i think by the end of this series that feels like that feels like there's a little more distance between him and fourth world which you literally see him go to new genesis at one point but still somehow it feels like it feels like maybe he has more of his own thing on earth going that is more important to him than the cosmic stuff
1: yeah which is appropriate i mean he uh like mr miracle was created to be that the the acrobatic kind of little more of a street level type character even though it was part of the fourth world banner so it is appropriate to distance them a little bit from all the space stuff
0: yeah you got to icon and rocket season one number four i've got the issue sitting right here but have not gotten to read it yet how was it Oh, uh, it's still fine. Like the 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 series has just in general
1: not been quite as exciting as I was hoping it would be. Um and I've been trying to put my finger on why I keep walking away from it being like, "Oh, well, this was okay," and let rather than like great. Cuz I really did like all of the original stuff with Icon and Rocket and have wanted more of these characters. Uh and I keep on being like, "Well, why aren't aren't I more excited?" Cuz I like the ideas of them massively disrupting, like, the world economy, like, by virtue of them doing good <laughs> stuff. Like, that, those are cool ideas. Um, and I like the idea that Icon is worldly enough to understand how he could de- destabilize those things. But I think we've lost one element, which is that Icon... Like, Icon was explicitly, like, very conservative, and that Rocket was the one pushing him to be more um, uh, more aspirational, more um, optimistic. And I don't think that that necessarily is the dynamic we need in this time, but it it does feel like we're um icon is a very just different character than how he originally came off like where he was interesting uh a little less apt to step forward and be a, a symbol for everyone and had to be pushed into that position um and wasn't super comfortable with it and i think by virtue of him being more like by virtue of him being more of like a lawman before he comes to earth and then being like oh i tried to stop slavery and i tried to stop all the wrongs of the world over time as opposed to living quietly. Um until finally goaded into stepping forward. It just has a different kind of vibe. But that said, I did like some of the ways that they try to tie it into some, some DC stuff. There's a a joke about a Manhunter from Mars. Um, and we start seeing the sort of like larger world still, um, which are all cool, cool elements, uh, for this, this new Dakota verse that they're creating this new milestone kind of continuity. Um, it's just, it's a lot, uh, a lot denser <laughs> in terms of super powered things and, and things going on than, uh, than what it used to be. It used to be, there were a couple small ones and then the Big Bang. And now it seems like, oh shit, there's a lot of super powered stuff that's been going on behind the scenes, uh, up until this point. And Icon has been very involved in all of that as opposed to a recluse. And that just, uh, like I said, it's, it's fine. Um, we get some exciting ideas of like, there's some new, uh, new alien threats coming for him. There's some potential allies that are showing up that are really interesting. Uh, so those are all all fun. But um, yeah, it, it's, it continues to be a book that I'm like, I will keep, keep reading this book, but it's not one that I'm like, it's not the top of my pile.
0: Gotcha. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting caught up. I think it clicks for me a little more than it does for you, but I don't have the context of that original run in my head either. So. Yeah,
1: and I, I fully understand that a lot of this is, is baggage.
0: Yeah. Um I want to touch base quickly on Arkham City of the Order of the World number two, just because I think this is such a fun book and such a different book to see from a main continuity DC title. Uh it's written by Dan Dan Waters with art by Danny, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Aditya Car. This is like a ghost story suspense comic set in Gotham uh it is following a a a doctor from arkham who's trying to like track down her patients make sure they're safe make sure that they are still getting treated after they've broken out in a day and she kind of gets pulled into one of their schemes to stop the ghost of amadeus arkham from hunting down and killing them and in this issue we find out who the ghost of amadeus arkham might be i don't I don't know that this is not something happening in parallel and there there isn't also a ghost skulking the streets. But this is where we find out that Azrael is definitely hunting these escaped inmates and is definitely trying to just murder them. As Azrael will do. <laughs> as Azrael would do. And it's it's very much just like a, a cat and mouse game. Like the book writ large is like a suspenseful cat and mouse game. Noir is not the word, but it has some of those elements through, through kind of the use of the psychiatrist or psychologist's perspective. Like, it kind of becomes a little bit almost of a private investigator vibe because of how she's trying to track people down. And I'm also going to, like, always, always, anytime I can, pick up a book that Danny draws because the art in this book is just gorgeous. Like, it's inky and dark and pulpy and abstract, but in a way where, like, the shadows are big and monstrous even when they might not necessarily be normally that plays into that horror vibe so well. Um, it's six issues. I don't know. I don't know what the end game for this is. I feel like it might be, might ultimately be setting up some sort of new status quo. We know that there's a plot line coming up with Arkham being rebuilt as a skyscraper in the middle of Gotham. And this issue talks about how the original plans for Arkham Asylum were modeled after a map of Gotham. And each room in the original building correlated to a different neighborhood in the city, which feels like some sort of occult ritual setup. At the same time, uh, I don't, I don't know where it's going, but in a good way. Like I kind of love that I don't know where this will go next. Uh, but it is definitely one of my favorite books DC is putting out right now. Very cool. I will have to check that out. Um. Oh, hey, there is one more DC book in the list. Dark Knights of Steel number 1 written by Tom Taylor art and colors by Yasmin Putri and letters by Wes Abbott what did you think of this case well i will i will start off with the first thing i saw
1: related to it is the variant cover that Wayne Reynolds did uh and that caught my attention because uh Wayne Reynolds is an artist very well known for doing works on D&D and Pathfinder uh specifically was like the the definitive artist for like all of like first edition Pathfinder uh so i was intrigued by that um this felt like a classic elseworld story to me uh in fact it felt very much like as like um there's this one elseworlds that john byrne did where an ancestor of superman's came to earth during the revolutionary war and uh <laughs> sides with england and as a result england wins and uh he is now set up as quote-unquote the warlock royal <laughs> in <into>, uh, <laughs> modern times and his all of his offspring have uh been uh, more and more diluted with uh, human blood so that by the time kal-el is born he uh is barely kryptonian and like has to like try to convince his grandfather to give up, uh, oppressing humanity into basically, uh, th- remaining in, at colonial times in terms of technological progression. Um, <laughs> and there, there's a vibe similar to that because we get, we, we get th- the L's, we get <laughs> jor and Laura, uh, coming to earth together and then, uh, it, but it's like a fantasy world and it's a lot of fun in that regard. But I don't know, like I said, it, it just feels very much like, all of the like, uh, like a very 90s kind of else world story where it's like, well, what if we take all the characters that we know, but now it's a fantasy setting and like, <laughs> and that's how we're going to play with it. Uh, and I'm here for it, I'm very much here for uh, it.
0: I am also very here for it. We, we, the, the present day of the book, which is again still a medieval setting sees jor and laura ruling what used to be thomas and martha wayne's kingdom and they are absolutely like they have absolutely terrified just by virtue of their existence and this prophecy given by quote the constantine boy to jefferson pierce the neighboring king <laughs> so black lightning keeps keeps sending over assassins to try to kill them because of this prophecy and they keep like sending out batman and Alfred. <laughs> to go fight them off along with batman's uh
1: like it's like in uh, game of thrones where it's like little sparrows like all of his robins like little agents and i i thought that was delightful like my robins like are out there like gathering
0: intel and so forth you don't you don't get to try diplomacy anymore uh uh jason it ends with it too often ends with people unconscious
1: yeah.
0: Uh yeah, we see we see Dick and Jason and Stephanie and Duke. And we know that he's got at least one other robin embedded in Jefferson's kingdom, who I'm guessing that is going to end up being uh Cassie. Just because of the whole outsiders angle, it would make sense for it to be Cassandra Kane. Yeah. Um we see <laughs> Bruce has to go track down a uh, a banshee. Yep, and as soon as they said Banshee, I'm like, okay, who are who are who are our options there? Oh wait, no, I know. Of course, it's going to be Dinah. Yep. Um, send a bat and some robins after a canary. Yeah, I think the thing that probably will give this the most fuel, though, is what we learn at the end of this issue, which. Maybe a spoiler, but it's the first issue. And again, I think this is going to be the source of drama going forward. Bruce is not the son of Thomas and Martha. Bruce is the bastard son of jor and Martha. And Bruce learns this right as jor gets a kryptonite arrow through the eye.
1: Yep. A kryptonite arrow fired by Green Arrow, but empowered by Green Lantern.
0: Yes. As much of a fan as I am of, of, like, deceased and the alternate universe things that Tom Taylor has done before, which include Injustice, I am just, I am so here for the ride on this. I love Yasmeen Putri's art here. I think this book is gorgeous. I, I'm sold. This can be 12 issues. This can be as many, many series as they want to do. I'm here for it all.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it seems like a really fun series right now. The the drama that it, we're predicting from from the finale of this issue uh, feels very Game of Thrones in a good way, mm-hmm. uh, and I realize that there's a has been in recent years like a a number of things where it's just like by default like oh it's like realistic fantasy oh it's Game of Thrones in this in this one regard it feels very Jon Snow ish, uh, and I think that that's yeah. gonna be a really cool element for. For all these characters, I love the design so far that we've seen for these characters. Um, I particularly like the Superman look because it has like the right balance of like nobility with uh, sort of like um, still looking like a Superman costume. Uh, I think it's mm-hmm. all it's all fitting together really well, and like I said, taken as Just a classic Elseworlds, this is exactly what those types of stories are like, and I am excited for it.
0: What did you think of My Bad, number one?
1: Oh, I fucking loved it.
0: I figured this would be very much up your alley. This is, this is parody of, I mean, it's very much Batman and Superman in this issue, but it reminded me a lot of like, not just 60s comics, but like the 60s cartoon adapt, 60s and 70s cartoon adaptations of comics. Where you get like just two stories in a half hour, and they'd all be kind of like it begins and it ends, and there's not necessarily any major change to the world because of it. And I dig that. I think there's a place for that, and I think this has a lot of fun with that.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, we've seen books like like this before in in, a, in the in the broad strokes. Um, uh, this it felt kind of like uh, I think it was 1969. No wait, what's The Alan Moore book from the, that was like him doing a send up of sixties, maybe 1963. Sorry. Gotcha. Getting that mixed up with his league of extraordinary gentlemen. Uh, book. Yeah. So it felt like 1963 in some regards or, uh, you know, um, anything that's doing a tribute to those kind of styles. Like we get the, the ads and like, like fake ads for like, um, not exactly sea monkeys, but things like sea monkeys, uh, and like X-ray visions. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like all those kind of things that used to be in like actual comic books, um you know, just trying to milk kids of their dimes and and whatnot um the batman stuff the the character the <laughs> chandelier was, uh kind of amazing i just like I just love the the snark uh, being cast in that direction of Batman, um yes, so that was a lot of fun like yeah the whole the whole book is just being like, all right, we're going to take us in modern times really ripping on all of the the kooky kind of commercialization kind of aspects of of silver age comics um i i was here for all of it like like i said the, the terrible nature of the chandelier was great uh the accelerator not really understanding human pleasantries and just being like a little <laughs> a little Overly like blunt about Everything because he just doesn't understand Like couching your language so that you don't Offend anyone um the Ridiculously funny um haha dingoes uh ad at The end uh <laughs> <laughs> Yes where <laughs> Where It's a send up of like those like hostess fruit pie Kind of ads that they used to run uh But in this case it's like oh yeah and the prison Industrial complex is like a really terrible thing And you made a bad trade <laughs>
0: Yeah uh it, also it all felt just, very Mark
1: Russell. uh In yes, it, it's, it's, which it's exactly what I was here for. uh And every every page was better than the one before it for me.
0: I also just the thing I think that I love the most about stuff like this sometimes is how low the stakes can be. The Batman story is about Batman being afraid that this birthday present that was sent from one of his villains or the chandelier being afraid that this birthday present that was sent from one of his v- villains means that his villain has figured out his secret identity so he gets basically the hulk to open it in case it's a bomb the the accelerator story is the accelerator is opening another in his chain of fried chicken places and his nemesis shows up to try to pretend like he found a rat in his soda to get the store closed. It's the pettiest bullshit, and I love it. Yeah, every step of it. um, uh,
1: Particularly the petty bullshit that the chandelier was going through just in general. Like, the the <laughs> open contempt he has for his employees and for the lives of his friends uh, was just kind of wonderful.
0: <laughs> has anyone ever told you that you sound like the chandelier boss? Has anyone ever told you that you sound unemployed?
1: <laughs> yeah, followed by... Anyone, um, anyway, can you imagine what what uh, what would happen to these people if a villain ever figured out my true identity? They'd probably torture and kill each and every one of them just to get to me. Poor slobs.
0: Let's hope they never figure it out. <laughs> As he is looking out over his Amazon warehouse esque workplace. Yep. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. He uh, he honestly felt a bit like a um like archer. <laughs> yes. Uh, archer. Yeah, let's get... if instead of James Bond was Batman.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't think we said this was written by Mark Russell and Bryce Ingman, with art by Peter Krause, colors by Kelly Fitzpatrick, and letters by Rob Steen.
1: Yeah, no, I've been bad, and I haven't said any of the people for the books I read. I'm sorry. It's (laughs) Uh, okay. Superman 78 was Robert Venditti uh, on writing, uh, Wilfred Torres on art, and uh, Jordi Belair on colors, and Dave Lanfear on letters. Justice League Infinity was J.M.D. Mateus and James Tucker on writing, Ethan Beavers on art. Uh, nick filardi on colors and dc hopkins on letters and icon on rocket was reginald hudlin and leon Chellis on writing duties uh pencils by doug braithwaite i don't know if i said that right at all i probably didn't inks by andrew curry colors by brad anderson and uh letters by and world design
0: awesome sorry i'm terrible (laughs) it happens it's all good uh, what wasn't terrible was my
1: bad. My bad was great. You guys should all go and buy it cuz it was so fun. <laughs> it was it was
0: a blast. I think that brings us to a thing called Truth Number 1. This is written and lettered by Yolanda Zanfordino with art by Elisa Romboli and Yolanda Zanfordino. Uh this is another book that kind of operates in it in a criticism a a sort of snarky criticism of capitalism and especially the medical industrial complex uh it is about a scientist who basically has sacrificed any semblance of personal life and work-life balance in pursuit of creating this new medical device that is cheap to manufacture and easy to distribute that would be wildly revolutionary for healthcare, especially in the southern half of the globe. We never really learn what this thing is. It doesn't matter. It's just a sort of silver bullet in healthcare. And she is about to make her breakthrough. So the company that she works for fakes her resignation, seizes all of her research as their own, and then hides all connection between her and it. So she goes to a bar. Gets very, very drunk, passes out, napping in her back seat, having left her keys in her front seat, and wakes up as her car is being stolen. And that sets up this whole series, which is a road trip between these two characters who are being chased by someone when we start kind of in Medius Res. Uh, And we don't know who's chasing them. We don't know... We get the implication that maybe there is more to this car thief than just hey random car thief. Uh so there's kind of a mystery here but it's also just just kind of a fun snarky social commentary, which I am very much here for. Uh it's the same team that did uh another book that I really jo- enjoy that I'm blanking on the title of. Um Alice in Leatherland. It's the same team that did Alice in Leatherland. Uh really digging their work strongly strongly recommend it. Also at Image, Newburn one number yeah, Newburn number 1. Uh this is two stories. We've got the main feature which is written by Chip or just by Chip starsky and Jacob Phillips. They didn't break down who's responsible for what in terms of writer, artist, colorist, letterer. So just starsky and Phillips. Uh and this is this is about the Newburn character. Uh, that the book is named for chapter one is called carmine's apartment which is about this former mafia family member who turns up dead after being disowned for stealing a bunch of cocaine from the family and newburn shows up as a pi to investigate turns out his whole deal is he is on the books of literally every crime organization in new york and he is basically the person who keeps the peace between them and cleans up messes that could interfere with that piece so he investigates this kid's death tracks down the person who is kind of the easy obvious answer and then finds the person who's behind it and puts that person under his own payroll uh so like Very much noir PI vibes, but in a contemporary setting with, like, explicitly shady character motivations. None of this, like, gruff exterior with a heart of gold thing. Just totally Machiavellian asshole who will get the job done if the price is right. Oh, very fun. Yeah, I I expected to think, you know... I expected to come up to this and, like, this is well-written, this looks great, maybe it's not exactly my thing, because I'm not a huge crime story person, but I really dug it. The character work in here is is just fantastic, which we should expect from Starsky, but even then, I was surprised. Uh, the backup here is called Brooklyn Zirconia. Uh, this is the first part of that story. It's written by Nadia Shamas with art by Zied Youssef Ayyub, and colors by Frank Chutkovic. This was a shorter backup. I don't know exactly where this is going, but it is it introduces us to kind of another sort of street crime, probably mob-based, family-based book. Uh introduces us to this character who's hanging out uh hanging out like in a back room where they're either cooking drugs or something like that and ends up getting murdered for it and then to his brother who finds out about it and goes to investigate uh like those are kind of the two beats in these few pages but it's the same vibe it's very much a sort of seedy underbelly uh story although this one is stylistically very different it is in a much uh sort of rounder more abstract almost cartoony style uh, it definitely feels like it's in the same world, but totally very different from the main Newburn story. And I'm curious to see where that goes.
1: So speaking as someone who also is not really big on like crime stories or things that are like too noir, but I can be like wowed over by like the appropriate uh, like level of quality. Like I really enjoyed Black Sad, for example. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, what would you, what would you say to me to, uh, to get me to go buy this
0: book? I mean, honestly, like the easiest way, the thing that sold me was just the creative teams. I love Chips Darsky as a writer. I really dig Jacob Phillips's art. And I know Nadia Shamus is kind of an up and comer who's done some like backups and, and shorter features for, I, th- I think she's done some work for Marvel um the creators are probably the easiest hook into it i'm not as familiar with zayed yusuf Ayub or frank chetkovic um and i think that that's probably the best way to set those expectations is if you like the kind of character work zdarsky does that is somewhere between tongue-in-cheek but also very earnest like somehow balancing those two impulses if you maybe replace maybe replace tongue-in-cheek here with cynical it is somewhere between cynical and earnest uh because i don't think it's a particularly funny book i don't think it's trying to write comedy um i think that's the easiest way to sell someone there i don't think that if you are if you are a big like crime reader i don't think it's ne- even if you're not as if you've had any experience with like crime stories, i don't think that this first issue necessarily feels wildly inventive and i don't think that's the point i mean i you recognize the shape of the story that's being told and the characters who are in this first page and you kind of know oh hey that person is probably who did it and it's actually kind of the invention of turning over the wrong person to the police and then putting that person on his payroll that I think provides the momentum going forward to want to read number two. I think it's seeing those kinds of really antithetical choices to what you would normally expect from the hero quote unquote of a book. Um, okay. At I the mean, end that, of the cool. day, like, the, the yeah. twist
1: it, uh for the first part, like was already sounding pretty good. So I, <laughs> I'm just always yeah. kind of curious. Cause like there's I, I like you're, as you pointed out, the creative team sounds great. So it's like, well, it's not yeah. my
0: genre, but, Maybe it still might be my book. So, And the, the most truthful answer for me is probably because I am in a season of needing to trim my pull list because it's very large and I'm just struggling with the time to, to keep up to date on everything on it. This will probably be a book that I grab in trade. I may give it another issue or two in print just to see if I, I still feel that way two or three issues in. But it's probably something long term that I'll read in trade. I definitely do want to continue reading it one way or another. Um, and that maybe that may end up being the most comfortable way to read it is take you know take that hour, read through the trade, enjoy a chunk of the story at a time. fair enough. all right, I am now going to get you to tell me about a book that I read the first issue of and dug, and have speaking of not having had the time to stay caught up on all my books. Not gotten to read another issue of since, and that is Amazing Fantasy Number Four.
1: Yeah, with uh right writer and artist is uh is it Carr or Care
0: Andrews? cari
1: Kare? Kari Andrews. Okay, Kari Andrews. And then uh Colors by Brian Reber and Letters by Joe Sabino. Um all right, so how how spoiled do you want to go on this one? Because the story is <sighs> uh progressed. <laughs>
0: you know i'm I'm not going to uh tie your hands too much on this one. I should have caught up by now maybe maybe take it a little more gently with like the end of of whatever happens in four if there is any sort of big reveal there. but all right, so w- what I'll say about four is four is a lot of falling action
1: for three um There were some twists at the end of three that um have made some of the players um and their relationships with each other a little bit more tenuous and th- The big chunk of this issue is a bunch of characters who have failed uh, being in a prison together and escaping together uh, and actually united in a way that they were not prior to this point in the series. Um, so cool. for anyone who was digging our description of Dark Knights of Steel as being this Lord of the Rings style take on the DCU, this is the Chronicles of Narnia style take on the Marvel U, <laughs> where we've got all these characters uh, pulled from their moments of of basically origin, uh, depending on continuities, because like Black Widow's from the like the '80s and Spider Man's from the '60s, um, and now we're actually seeing them existing in this fantasy world for a little while now. They've sided with factions. Some of those factions have gone to war with each other. Some of that hasn't gone very well for anyone. Uh, and certain people have betrayed people. And you'll be surprised when you get there. But by <laughs> the time we get to this issue, they're now all kind of doing a prison break. And uh, we're starting to see some of the big bads reveal themselves. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's mostly falling action and setting up for the conclusion, which I, I'm i looking forward to. Uh, but definitely issue five is going to be where uh, a lot of the things matter <laughs> that we set up in this issue. Awesome. Uh, the magical MacGuffins are starting to like get into the wrong hands, and you're we're setting up like, oh, things are things are going to be really bad, and everyone needs to like join forces for for all that really bad that's about to happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I will say this: Kari Andrews is a writer I really dig. I think a lot of people who know his name know his name because of Spider Man Reign. And I, I recognize that as maybe a controversial or divisive story, but I actually know him first from the Immortal Iron Fist and then his follow-up Iron Fists, which are like, they could not individually be more tonally different despite being one being a, con- a continuation of the other. But the first is this like revenge kung fu flick version of Iron Fist and the second is this like goofy lore-based story about danny rand raising a child um so like i i'm actually kind of disappointed in myself for not being caught up with this because i really dig andrew's work and i actually i know this is an insane thing to say maybe i actually kind of like spider-man Reign, uh other than all the jokes about um Radioactive spider semen giving Mary Jane cancer. Like, and I actually think there's a lot of spider smart cum, writing in
1: there. Radioactive spider come, Spider Man.
0: <laughs> you know, I was really resisting that urge, but I'm glad <laughs> one of us did it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm going to get caught up on this for five when five comes out. That is, I am saying it now so that I have to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's a breezy read. Like, it's surprising
1: how fast it reads, considering that it is a fairly thick issue. Like, Overall. yeah but um it, a lot of it is an excuse for very beautiful art um spread out over some pages and it's a lot of like fantasy stuff and like it it continues to be a really impressive work it is less pronounced than in the earlier issues where the different characters have different styles because now they're interacting more and so it's more of a mm-hmm. homogeneous style between it all but um there's still some distinct uh look aspects to all the characters so you're still seeing um kari like really flexing those muscles. Um, and like I said, it's a lot of fun in that sort of pulpy, you know, like I said, it's it's the Chronicles of Narnia style fantasy where it's characters from quote unquote the real world being plunged into a fantasy world. And that has been uh, a fun element of this all because they are still theoretically characters who ha- I have a vague understanding of the histories of things. Like characters who come after Captain America are distinctly aware of who Captain America is. Uh, meanwhile, he's like, <laughs> Not because he, or I mean, he like he knows that he's Captain America, but he's like, wait, you you guys know who I am? That's so weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I I'm looking forward to it. How about Strange Academy presents the death of Doctor Strange? Okay, yeah. uh so this is written by
1: Scotty Young with art by Mike Del Mundo and colors by Mike Del Mundo and Marco Delafonso with uh letters by Clayton Cowles. Although that might only be for the main story because now I got to there's a backup story at the end of your
0: oh um, i didn't realize i had a backup i'll find it yep yeah. uh
1: but so for the main story so i i got a preface which is that i have not been reading strange academy i was vaguely aware of the premise for it um uh, but i uh i dig it a lot uh, they're dealing with oh dr strange is dead and like what is the fallout from that all um and so the main story is dealing with uh the two twin sons of the enchantress uh eric and alvi um and uh some magical shenanigans specifically uh eric gets kidnapped and is being siphoned or like his blood is being siphoned away by apparently uh the enchantress just assumed that she would never have kids and so throughout time she has just constantly been saying like i will give you the blood of my firstborn child uh to various people over the course of history um and usually has (laughs) outlived them all but this one ancient wizard has actually successfully lived long enough that in a flashback we see Doctor Strange assisting the enchantress and protecting her twin babies and uh Strange imprisons this wizard in like a block of magic ice type thing and it's like he'll be imprisoned until uh as long as I draw breath flash forward to <laughs> Doctor Strange's <is> death <laughs> <laughs> and and one get or the older the older twin gets kidnapped um and so enchantress and her son who they have bad friction uh, have to go on a quest to save him. Uh, and there's lots of funny bits such as Enchantress skipping out on the check at a coffee shop, uh, because she just teleports away. She's like, Oh, I'll I'll get you next time. And it's like, Oh, she comes (laughs) here always and never has, has yet to pay. Um, and this is just another fun, like, all right, we're going to do a fantasy story. Like, let's be honest here the the story of the of the late teens early 2020s uh are, is going to be the story of how everyone became obsessed with fantasy and how we've been trying to jam it into our superheroes uh because that's just all over the place ever since ever since lord of the rings uh hit and, and the people who were teenagers and whatnot and obsessed with the, those movies are now the people writing the comics like we're constantly trying to get that in there we're trying to get our D in there um and so this is a fun tale. They team up with a wizard slayer. They, uh, they, they deal with this, uh, <laughs> this evil wizard who has drained her son so dry that he's now buff, and her son, uh, Eric, is like a withered uh, husk of a person. Um, but, oh, no. But they successfully defeat him, and th- things are fine. Um, and then the, uh, and we see more of like all these different students. I, I dig the setting of Strange Academy in that it's like, all right, what's all the magic that we have? in the marvel u and how do we put it all under one roof in a hogwarts style kind of setup and that's yeah. very cool it feels weird to be part of a contemporary book like it feels like it should be like a flash forward a few years in the future kind of book um i'm not saying it's wrong to do it this way it's just it's it's interesting because i'm like I, I mean it makes sense but like so, so many of these characters have been ageless for so long and all of a sudden to be like oh
0: that now they have kids who are teenagers is like oh that's weird but at yeah comics, that's fair like Seeing Dormammu's kid show up in the first issue was like, have we ever known Dormammu had a kid? Like I'm here for it, I'm along for the ride, but was that a thing?
1: Yeah, I I love that they had the mindful one. I I was not familiar with this character beforehand, but I adore it. Um it fi- it felt kind of like awesome Andy from the Dan Slott She-Hulk run. Uh Yep. In in all only complimentary ways. So <laughs> yeah. Um and now looking through, it's like, oh, right, that's why I couldn't remember the specifics on the backup story because each the backup story is um, like one to two pages for each of these characters checking in with them after they've gone home now that Doctor Strange is dead. Uh, so it's different writers and artists on every single one. Or rather, Scotty Young is the writer on it. But it, it goes uh, Peach Momoko uh, telling the story of Emily and Cat Beast. Uh, Herman is done by Umberto Ramos with Edgar Delgado. Um, Calvin has a story with Alessandro Cap- uh, Capuccio and uh, Edgar Delgado. Um Gus as uh, Gustavo Duarte on art and uh Howie and Heidi is CF Villa and Edgar Delgado on that and Toth is David baldeon and Edgar Delgado. Yeah, so Delgado. Uh and then Doyle, which they take it as the son of Dormammu, um is yep. uh, Luciano Vecchio is the artist. Yeah, like every single page is a different artist. <laughs> yeah, uh, Zoe. Uh, I think each story is just the character. Like, what are they doing right now? Uh, Zoe is Nachata uh, Bustos and Edgar Delgado. Yeah, that's. I think that covers it. Um, yeah, um,
0: there was them- one. There was one more. The very beginning, the very first one is Oh Desi, Desi okay, yeah. which is drawn by Nico Enrichon.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so each one of them is basically checking in with their home life and so forth. Now that they've come back from school and some some is more terrifying some is just kind of cute some are playing Fortnite. you know it's like, <laughs> like like there's all these different types of things and as a character or as a reader who is not familiar with the characters it at least gave me a sense of who all are at the strange academy so as a intro to the book that works fairly well um but it, it's all sort of secondary to the main story which is like the enchantress who is a person who never expected to have kids and has just basically uh, left them to go to boarding school, and she wants to continue just being herself. Um, having to actually bond with her her sons, particularly the son who is not her favorite.
0: <laughs> that is very much in line with what this book is. I mean, it, Scotty Young writes the book normally, anyway, so it's it's still in line very much with that book. And I cannot wait to read this. I've got a I've got to get caught up on Death of Doctor Strange yeah. stuff as well.
1: Is Thor their their father?
0: Not to my knowledge. They, I'm they, about three issues behind. They never say specifically, but they do say their father was
1: a meathead. Yeah, those I'm, are my words, not theirs. But they they indicate that he <laughs>
0: that all the brains. Come I from don't. I don't think I know yet. The thing that's also super interesting to me about that, though, is we have also seen in Captain Marvel another child of the Enchantress from the future, who she has with Namor. Ah, so I'm really not sure, like if there is if if one it just happened to be that two different editorial offices okayed using the enchantress in the same way or if there's something else going on here that's kind of a bigger mystery um i truly don't know and being two or three issues behind doesn't help me be able to answer yeah. that cuz i think i think the last issue i read was the one where we found out that she was their mother ah okay interesting it, that seems like the table stakes for them but <laughs> like, yeah cuz they have very Norse sounding names <laughs> uh I mean, I think we knew they were from Asgard. I just don't think we knew who was their parent. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as again, someone coming in blind and just sort of
1: checking it out because um, because I was coming on the show and I was like kind of curious to see what's going on in this corner that I hadn't really been tuned into. Um, I thought this was a good issue in terms of like, if you're not familiar with Strange Academy, they explain everything you need to know pretty well and catch you up on who all the other characters are. So that's all really good. I enjoy their fantasy world that they go to because I think it belongs to one of the other students but has been taken over by weird uh like magic madness um and they have to <laughs> like they have to decipher things with like child logic. Like adults just can't grok the world that they're in. Um and that is a really <laughs> fun kind of component for them to go through. Um yeah. For- forcing Enchantress to like be on a level like to think like a kid a little bit is like kind of fun there. Um and that so, is, yeah,
0: it, it's a fun book. It's, and the, the, the ongoing is a book that I really dig as well. I would definitely recommend that to anyone who was, who picked this up and was interested. Last one, X-Men Legends, number
1: eight. Yeah. Okay. So this was written by Larry Hama, art by Billy Tan, uh, colors by Chris Sotomayor and letters by Joe Carmanja or Carmanja, uh, X-Men Legends has been very hit or miss for me. Um, so this has been running since the, the, the current era of X-Men to, to give writers and artists a chance to tell stories from earlier eras, uh, in X-Men lore, since the current run is so distinctly different from everything that has come before. And in some cases has been the opportunity to tell stories that, um, have since been retconned or have had other things like, you know, Fabian Niciesa did the Adam X story finally, um this one is just a Wolverine story from the nineties and it is <laughs> fine. <laughs> like, like um, not a whole lot happens in it. It's the Jubilee got kidnapped in the previous issue. Uh, and Wolverine is continuing to chase them down and it's fighting lady death strike. And, uh, there's, you know, we like the cover is him fighting Omega red. Who's involved in all this. And then Sabretooth shows up at the very end and it's like, yep, this is really nineties Wolverine right here. Like, if you're a big fan of, like, the X-Men cartoon and you really enjoy Wolverine and Jubilee, like, running around face fighting ninjas stories, this is that but by the very nature of X-Men Legends it's not advancing any of their character arcs because it's a, mm. it's kind of just like a, here's a story that happened back then and it feel you know it's just like it's not a story that is redefining of their relationship it doesn't change how we understand anything and while so if you're if your bag is wolverine fighting ninjas like if that's what you like this book is that uh that is a, a great thing for you <laughs> Uh, if it is not what you're like into in in comics and you want them to be doing something else, this book is not that, and therefore you shouldn't read it. And that's basically all I can say about it.
0: Like it's the, if ninja, then yes. Yeah,
1: like the you know like it the the story is paced just fine like they they have interesting uses of some of their powers you know a, a wolverine versus lady deathstrike Death fight is always kind of fun because like they're both bleeding out and like being like all right who's going to fall first while we both heal from all the wounds that we're giving each other okay cool you know it's all it's all fine <laughs> um but it's it's just not a book that in the current era and where I love this hickman run of x-men books and you know i'm using that as the super category uh, and it has really brought me back into X-Men books. This is just a, a different era, and it's not what I am tuning in constantly for nowadays. Like, that's
0: yeah. it's it. I mean, Brian and I were talking, I guess, last week when we caught up on all the X-Books about just how much of a breath of fresh air that Solomon and Sever Blackmore have been as, like, new antagonists for Wolverine. Yeah. So I, I get exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, like, this book basically is missing
1: cyber- and that's about it then you have basically all of wolverine's 90s like enemies that he would fight (laughs) like it's pretty much everyone who if you ever dug wolverine in like 1993 uh going off on his own adventures with jubilee that's that is this book exactly
0: cool let's talk about upcoming books books that are new this week we've got three new number ones uh that are on our radar at least on my radar. Uh, what's the furthest place from here, number one? This is written by Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Tyler Boss, and letters by Hassan Howe. Uh, this is the same creative team, or at least the same writer and artist, who gave us, uh, We Can Never Go Home. Nope, nope, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. Ha! Huh. This is the same writer and artist who gave us Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, which... Have you gotten a chance to check that out, Case?
1: Nope. <laughs> I can't say that I it have It
0: was... A five-issue miniseries about four kids trying to rob a bank. It is incredible. Cannot recommend it enough. Truly, like, one of the great creator-owned miniseries, like, done-in-an-arc stories of contemporary comics. Adding it to Uh, my
1: shopping cart right now.
0: (laughs) This is their next joint. Um... It is about kind of a world where everything's dying and there's no hope. And one character's like, fuck it. I'm going to go out there into the world where there is hope and disappears and her friends have to go find her. Um, I think on its face, like very, very sort of stock, simple story idea. But I think the magic here is in this creative team. Um, I also know that these are like so beyond sold out and uh, uh, allocated to comic shops so that you know, places probably didn't even get as many copies as they ordered. But if you want to try to chase one down, there are special editions of each issue that come with a uh, a vinyl album with a couple of songs on them that are like music that go with the issue or whatever, like highlighting sometimes newer artists, sometimes like established pop, rock, punk, whatever, whatever the vibe they're going for is artists. Um, if you really want to track that down good luck you'll need it okay uh venom number one finally comes out written by al ewing and ram v uh which is just a conspiracy to make me continue buying venom when i swore that i was going to take a break from it (laughs) with pencils by brian hitch art by andrew curry colors by alex sinclair and letters by clayton cowles did you did you read the Donnie Cates Venom run case? I didn't, and I, I, I realize I need to go back
1: because I've been very much uh, enjoying Cates' other stuff, and
0: yeah, I know, I need to <laughs> go check it all out. Well, with, without creating any extra pressure there, uh, this does actually continue the status quo that he set up in the last issue of his run. Uh, Eddie is bonded to every symbiote as the god of symbiotes, except his original symbiote. And, like, can hop into their consciousnesses, can pilot them, can do whatever across all of space. Meanwhile, his son Dylan is piloting his old symbiote. And Ewing and V are splitting the issue as an A story and a B story. One of them is writing Eddie, one of them is writing Dylan. I see. So it is very much a book about both of them and about what each of them is doing. And yes, that does mean Al Ewing is folding Venom into the wild things he is doing in space now. Um, God damn it. All
1: right. All right. I'm here for it. I'm here for it.
0: (laughs) From the man who just turned Ego into Dormammu (laughs) comes Space Venom. (sighs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> comes adding it to my poll list. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: this has gotten delayed a couple of times. It's finally happening for real for real this week. I'm very excited. And finally, My Date with Monsters, uh, which is, I believe, a new Vault series, written by Paul Tobin, with art by Andy McDonald, colors by DJ Shavis, and letters by Taylor Esposito. This is set in a world where attempts to like Bridge into the world of dreams have accidentally released nightmares into the world, and the only way to make the nightmares go away is for certain people to actually make their dreams come true. Which means this book's main character has to find love, and to do so, has to get the aid of one of the monsters that has come from the world of nightmares as well as her kid. It's a book about dating and monsters, hence my date with monsters yeah uh paul tobin did a book called heist or how to steal a planet a couple of years ago that i absolutely loved i'm super curious to see where this book goes because the premise is just that kind of bat insane that usually ends up being right up my alley and i think that will do it for us this week thank you again case for joining us of course. where can folks check out you get more of you, get more of other podcasts, get whatever you would like them to
1: have. Yeah, uh, I mean, the majority of my stuff can be found at certainpov.com or if not at certainpov.com, proper check it out on well, our YouTube page or anything else. Um, but uh, I, I host three podcasts which are uh, Men of Steel, which is a Superman appreciation podcast, which is probably the most overlap here, seeing as how Alex, you're on an upcoming episode on Miracle Man, and we, we've done. Plenty of other stuff with you before, Um, but but I also host Another Pass, which is a movie analysis podcast uh, with Sam Alisea, and uh, we are expecting very soon the triumphant return of Scruffy Nerf Herders, our Star Wars D&D game that uh, has been running for several years but took a little bit of a break during the pandemic uh, because it was difficult to schedule things (laughs) on that front. Awesome! Uh, So those are all there, and then I also uh, do all of our YouTube content uh, for certain POV uh, so check out our YouTube channel. I'm going to actually emphasize that plug because I've been doing our Superman analog videos, which has been mine. I've been doing our like weekly wrap ups of all the shows that we've had on the network for a while now. And uh, I've also been doing all the animated versions of SideQuest, which is Matt Storm and Jeff Moonen series uh, where they have people come on and just gush about a video game for five to 15 minutes. Uh, and I've been really getting uh, a lot of fun out of like animating the heads for all the people and uh, finding footage of these video games to like put together and you know have a visual component to the gushing about video games uh so yeah check out our youtube channel check out certain pov it's the one that has the red microphone icon as opposed to the other certain povs that are out there because there's apparently a lot <laughs> <laughs> but uh i wish i could say we came first but uh there's there's a lot <laughs> there and i'm not sure <laughs> uh and, and then you know follow me on twitter at case Aiken. awesome
0: Well, anytime you want to come back, just let me know, Case. It is always a pleasure. Uh, We would also like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. Panelology is, as Case mentioned, a member of the Certain POV Network. Uh, If you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture, go to CertainPOV.com. That includes all of Case's. And I'm also going to mention uh, Fun and Games with Matt and Jeff because I am on an upcoming episode of that as well. Uh, you can visit us at panelologypodcast.com, support us at patreon.com slash panelology, get merch at bit.ly slash panelology merch, capital P capital M, or send us questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash panelology mailbag, capital P capital M. I'm Alex, and I'm Case. Go read comics. P-P-O-V. certainPOv.com.